Capcom presents. They accept all my imperfections. Sorry for the disconnection. But here's all the missing sections. You know Mega Brand came equipped with weapons. I don't mean Smith and Wessons, but the gun smoke will choke ya. We do it for the culture. Lights of the round controllers up in holsters. It's a beautiful world. I'm smelling everything. Take flight and soar on legendary wings. No swagger from Mike Hagger. Wrestler turn mayor, turn teacher, turn rapper with mad gear. Leveled up from Last year, trust me, it's dynamite from the third strike to final fight. So I'm gonna stay locked in. Then 83 way past 2010. You never heard of the live ass. The Capcom Unity podcast. So I'm gonna stay locked in. Then 83 past 2K10. You never heard of the live ass. The Capcom Unity podcast. Hello! We are back with episode 12 of the Capcom Unity official podcast. It's good to be here. I am Greg Aman, joined once again by... Yuri again, from last week. And yes. we also have a special guest this time, David Chrislip, who is a, a Capcom veteran. Thank you for being here, David. Thank you for having me. And uh, the, the theme of today's podcast is localization, which uh, is something David happens to know quite a bit a lot, uh, quite, a, quite a bit about... <laughs> Um, and it's also near and dear to both Yuri's and my hearts, uh, yes. not to speak for everyone. Uh, but before we get into that, I do just want to mention that that theme song that you just heard was uh, provided actually two years ago, plus change, <laughs> by, by Mega Ran, who probably a lot of listeners have heard of. Uh, he just kind of randomly messaged us one day saying, hey, I wrote you guys a theme song, you're welcome. And then we promptly went on hiatus for two years and never got a chance to use it. But Talk about bad times. As you can hear, it's a pretty <laughs> amazing and well-polished track. Uh, he says the remix work was provided by Kyle Murdoch. So thank both of you guys so much for the music. Uh, I would like to keep using that because there's no way we're going to top it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It, it uses the, the Capcom jingle like perfectly. Yeah, you know, that's like, that is oh, the proper great. way, if I may say, the proper way to sample a pre-existing work is to turn it into something new, not just steal the hook of something. Greg's musician side I'm, uh, right now. I'm adamant about this. <laughs> I've seen it one too many times where someone will just steal a hook verbatim and then make it become popular because of this catchy hook that they didn't even come up with. Uh, so props to you guys for being good musicians. Yep. <laughs> Incidentally, that's actually the... Uh, I have my ringtone or my text ringtone set to that uh, the old Capcom Q sound oh, yeah. jingle there. Yeah. It's a wow. great sound. Yeah, It is. Got to give props to the person who actually engineered that, too. Very, very nostalgic. But, uh, yeah, so ah. we are talking about localization today, and um, it's just it's it's something that I think deserves a spotlight because it's a very involved process, a very expensive process, as we know, and, and it's not the same thing as just translation. I think people kind of take for granted when the, they either demand for something to be localized or they just, you know, they, they play these things that come out in the West that are not from the West. Uh, and don't really think about how much extra legwork goes into making that possible. And I think it's a special, especially uh, applicable to Capcom because we're uh, a Japanese developer and publisher, so most, most of our games come actually from Japan. So mm -hmm. uh, one way or another, they require localization. A few exceptions here and there, especially uh, with the Western-developed stuff, but I imagine that stuff gets lo localized into Japanese Oftentimes afterwards. Oftentimes it does, yeah. Yeah, so... 
We can't escape it now. <laughs> so, so my impression for many years has been that Capcom has always been kind of ahead of the curve for Japanese companies. And correct me if you if you feel differently, David, but uh, <laughs> just in that you know they they always seem to be uh, more globally minded than a lot of Japanese publishers. You know, stuff like Resident Evil having only English VO to begin with, and even games later on like Devil May Cry. Mm -hmm. Dino I mean, Crisis probably. Dino Crisis. English if I remember correctly. Yeah, and, and it wasn't until very recently, I think, that uh, Resident Evil actually got Japanese VO. I think uh, Revelations was the first one to do it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I, th I think something to distinguish at the beginning of the show is what is the difference between <coughs> translation and localization? Wait, 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 wait. Before we get to that, yeah. David, uh, yes. who are you and what do you do? Good point. I, I <laughs> am David Chrislip. Uh, I'm in my 11th year at Capcom. Started out uh, wow. back in 04. Uh, in Osaka, actually one of the uh, founding members, if you will, of the internal localization team, uh, which was founded back in 04. Uh, did that for a few years. Uh, worked in the Tokyo office for a few years as well, uh, with Onosan doing some Street Fighter type stuff. Uh, came out here to Capcom USA back in 2009. I do uh, right now a lot of uh, communication legwork uh, between the various divisions uh, in Japan and here internally just to make sure Everyone knows what's going on, and things are communicated appropriately. There was a very odd period of time where David was technically my boss, but I had <laughs> not really even met him yet. <laughs> it was, it was just it sending, was rather odd. sending him monthly reports. Yes. Oh, nice. But uh, so, like, how if someone asked you that, how would you explain the difference? Uh, that's a, that's a really good question, and it's a distinction that not everyone. Uh, makes. In fact, I'd recommend if anyone out there is looking to get into the field, if you're asked that at an interview, just say what I say and you'll <laughs> probably get the job because they, they do often ask this. Uh, straight up translation, obviously, is exactly what it sounds like. You're looking at a dictionary, you're finding one-to-one -one matches uh, for words and getting that, uh, that self-same uh, message across. Localization, as it pertains to software and, and entertainment in particular, it's kind of a different beast because you're not looking to do, in most cases, a direct translation. Uh, you have to bear in mind the audience, you have to bear in mind the, the cultural mm. differences, the, the context uh, in, in that people are approaching entertainment from. So it's a very different uh, kind of process. Mm -hmm. You aren't uh, as beholden uh, to the original word for word. You're beholden to the meaning and, and the general thrust, uh, but there's more freedom to kind of fine tune things uh, specifically for an audience in a given region and of yeah. a specific tongue. There's a lot of, uh, you know, it, it's a very inexact science, I find, and there's a lot of judgment calls you have to make sort of on behalf of the audience where you look at a line and you say, okay, what is the value of this line? And is the, uh, you know, f if it's a, let's say it's an in-joke about like a Japanese uh, media star, you know, is the value to be taken verbatim or is it that it's, it's a joke about a media star that could be transferred to someone American audiences would know in America? And you have to, like, there's a million different ways that you could go about it, you know? Mm -hmm. You could translate it verbatim, add, add a footnote. You could just cha change it to Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or you could go with something entirely different as long as you're hitting the uh, similar humorous note. To exactly, really yeah. Case-by-case case sort of thing. Can you just so make a joke? Yeah, yeah. make um, a joke about food that, you know, strikes the same notes as yeah. mm -hmm. that joke about celebrity. Exactly. I was going to say, speaking of that, you know, I think <laughs> one, of the, one of the series that, uh, poses a particularly big challenge in that way is the Ace Attorney games mm. because I mean one because they're so text heavy and two because they make a lot of those kinds of jokes and uh, a, a lot of the humor in, in the game is very uh, you know culture centric mm -hmm. and as you've seen over the years they've they've taken quite a few liberties with the series and in, in, in localizing it not just translating it mm -hmm. 
and that's part of the reason why uh, those localization pro projects are so grand in scope and uh, <laughs> expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, even things like you know the names of the characters, including Phoenix Wright, you know those are all based on these sort of loose puns, and they all have mm -hmm. punly Japanese names that are completely mm. done away with and changed to. I, I remember the uh, sorry to, to, to interrupt. No, but I please. remember the, the process when when the initial uh, Ace Attorney game was about to be localized. Uh, there was there was much ado about what we were going to do about the character names, mm -hmm. and there were whole long committee-based meetings yeah. where we would take votes and we would make recommendations. Um, I do think that they've done a really, really good job of making them sound appropriately uh, Western uh, while still retaining the, the punny uh, nature of the Japanese yeah. uh, names. I would say they, they end up feeling very, very similar despite uh, coming at it for completely different angles. That's such a that's a, such a challenging thing to grasp. And this is why you need professional people to do this is that you're you're not translating. You're trying to capture the essence of. Uh, like the vibe it gives the player as they play it, and that it's something that's amazing to see when you when you speak both languages and you see uh, this feels just like Ace Attorney or like the Japanese version of Ace Attorney, even though they changed so much. Yeah. Um, what's the, the what's the Japanese name for Phoenix Wright? The the character's name mm -hmm. that would be yes, uh, yes. Naruhodo Ryuichi. Uh, Naruhodo, of course, is uh, kind of a Japanese phrase uh, that, that means uh, like I see, I understand, so something. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Along right. those lines. Yeah, right. There you go. Ah, and that's right. where the right comes from for Phoenix Wright. Uh, the Phoenix part came from the idea, you know, the whole title in Japan of the, the Phoenix Wright series is Gyakuten Saiban. Gyakuten, of course, meaning kind of a reversal, uh, turning of the tables. Huh. Saiban meaning court. So, you know, we even toyed at the idea uh, initially of just calling it Turnabout Court, which would be the most <laughs> similar <laughs> yeah. uh, title. Sounds like um, a TV but, show. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it does. But uh, the Phoenix comes from the idea of kind of rising from the ashes, uh, turning something around, mm. uh, beginning ah, a new. right, right. Um, so that, if I recall huh. correctly, and that was uh, almost a decade ago, that's <laughs> where that came from. I've never heard that explanation. I, I just thought it was, so you do in Yuichi, his first name is uh is dragon right so mm -hmm. i thought it was just like swapping one mythical beast for another <laughs> uh, you know that may actually have been uh, part <laughs> it of might it. be part of it like I, I said it was 10 years that ago was, that was such a yeah. brilliant mm -hmm. subtle way to to transfer that over mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but um obviously the the challenge when you have an ongoing series is that when you localize uh, it might be an over statement to say this but you're, you're basically forming a web of lies <laughs> you know <laughs> And uh, yes. the longer the series goes on, the more opportunities there are for, for that to slip up or become just, oh, yeah. like, unworkable. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, they've, they've fudged a lot of things that they probably wouldn't fudge now. Like, uh, you see food in the game that is clearly some kind of Japanese food. And they're just like, oh, I love hamburgers. You know? <laughs> it's just like, yeah, just yeah. go with it. Well, even the, the, the character names in Street Fighter 2 are probably a good example. Uh, you know, with Charlie oh, or Nash yeah. in Japan. I don't know that anyone ever thought they would see or hear from Charlie ever again. So when they were writing that ending, they just <laughs> threw a random name in there. I highly doubt anyone knew that was going to be a character, uh, knew that he might have a different name in Japanese, that sort of thing. But like you say, you're spinning a web of lies. Once you do that, you have to stick with it. Yep. Yeah. And say, I mean, same for the the boss characters, uh, the whole Vega, Bison, yep. uh, Balrog. Like, so Balrog, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Swap. Um, it's just like, <laughs> I guess they couldn't have possibly known how huge this would have been. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we, we very briefly, incidentally, with uh, with Street Fighter 4, we very briefly toyed with the idea of just uh, matching the English version to the Japanese names mm -hmm. and just uh -huh. kind of making it all the same uh, everywhere. Kind of like, I guess, I'd compare it to like Final Fantasy 7, where yeah. from an American point of view, they just skip 4, 5, and, and 6. We said, you know, maybe we should just <laughs> call them by their Japanese names from now on. We decided ultimately that uh, because Street Fighter 2 is such 
a cultural phenomenon because his characters are so uh, well known that it would just cause uh, undue confusion. Utter chaos. And, yeah, it actually yeah. would not help, but that potentially hurts. Fist so we stuck with what we had. So instead, we just resort to claw, boxer, and uh, yeah, as you know, it's like the yeah. community kind of figures it out, and that's the mm -hmm. that's the yeah. big thing. Mm -hmm. Other stuff like like Resident Evil, you know, that a name that makes increasingly less sense. The, the more settings that the game takes place in because mm -hmm. it starts as like residence. a like pseudo pun on the fact that it's in a mansion and then it's like uh, then they go all over the world. <laughs> you know, I always, in regard to the original Resident Evil, at least, I, I almost liked Resident Evil better as a title than mm -hmm. Biohazard because I thought that Biohazard was almost kind of a spoiler because part of oh, the yeah. mystery when I played it, at least, was wondering what is it that's causing these zombies? Is it some supernatural thing? Is it... Uh, but if you call it biohazard, well, no, it's obviously some sort of medical experiment <laughs> yeah. that's gone wrong. Yeah, thank God we didn't go with President Evil for six. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, I think the other big famous one is uh, Rockman versus Mega Man, which at first seems innocuous. And see, you know, and this is another point I want to make is that you know things like marketing do play a role in how things are localized because ultimately you want a name, you want something that will appear to, uh, I'm sorry, appeal to a your mass market. So there's something about Rockman that they just didn't think would click with the Western market. And I understand too. I hear Rockman. I think the thing from Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, I That's don't. And and then you hear the name Rockman. You see what the game is like. At no point do you think, oh yeah, like rock and roll. Until roll comes along. Until roll comes along. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you may or may not. A proto man who's called Blues. And yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but then again, Web of Lies. You get into Mega Man Legends, where he's supposed to be like. Like an adopted, basically an adopted boy in a family. And so in the Japanese version, they just call him Rock. Like that's his first name, you know? And then in, in the US one, they're like, uh, yeah, we'll just say that his name, his first name is Mega Man as one word with two capital M's. <laughs> 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 it's just like, yeah, just roll with it. Where did Volnut come from? That's a great question. I don't know where it came from, but I think that was it's just part of that. It's a Japanese name as well, right? I don't, I don't think that well, was not, unique yeah. for it's the, just, yeah. yeah, it's just the idea. Oh, he's he's sort of in a normal family, albeit as an adopted kid, so he has a first name and a last name. Uh. So he's not Rock Man, he's Rock Volnut, or Mega Man <laughs> Volnut. <It's laughs> like, how did they land on that for their adopted child? <laughs> and, and what was the, um, was it the Archie comics that calls him Rock, but then he goes into a Mega Man form? I can't remember. I can't recall now. Yeah, 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 yeah. So he's Rock when he's like in a domestic setting, <laughs> and yeah. then Mega Man as as Mega Man. Yeah, which I think is actually a great way to handle it. Uh, yeah, pretty smart. And also, I don't know if you if we've all seen uh, Street Fighter: The Legend of Chun Li, but they bring back <laughs> Charlie. Uh, they bring back Charlie and call him Charlie Nash. That's actually really good uh, workaround. Yeah. Ah. So yeah. they that solved the issue right there. <laughs> So that, that is why you should watch that movie. If you take nothing else away from The Legend of Chun-Li, yeah. take that one point. And there's, point. there's nothing, I think, in the in the games, in the Office series where he appears. There's nothing that would prevent us from calling that canon at some point if we wanted to. And then, you know, I think, uh, David, it sounds like you, you kind of joined up with the company in what I consider sort of the golden age of local localization, where they really <laughs> stepped it up. I'm, I'm not going to credit you 100%, but <laughs> you, feel free. you could take the credit, you. I'm just okay. saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, stuff like Killer7, which we've uh, been playing on the Throwback Thursdays a little bit mm -hmm. lately. It's just, uh, 
I mean, one, that's just a very tricky game because everything's so abstract. I mean, I can't even imagine how, how they tackle that one. It's like, you'd have to have a lot of insider information to just even grasp what what are they even going for in this cutscene, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the, the thing I want to bring up is, uh, so there's these ghost characters in Killer7, and when you talk to them, they all have like this creepy, abstract, like, babble voice. <coughs> And you can just barely make out in the in the American version that it sounds like, to me, it always sounded like they ran the Japanese through like uh, I guess Babblefish at the time they didn't have a Google <laughs> Translate yet. Oh, I remember that. And then have <laughs> a computer read it because you get these things like it is dangerous, but it's so distorted to the point that you can barely make it out. I later learned that the Japanese version doesn't have the distortion; it just has like this weird like creepy English, and uh, I think. I mean, it's hard to know what Suda51 was thinking, but it seems like he wanted this sort of dreamlike thing where these characters seem like they're speaking English, but none of it makes any sense because it's the kind of English that Suda51 would be able to dream, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so when they brought it over to the, the States, they, uh, they're just like, well, that doesn't really make sense here where everybody speaks English, so let's just make it weird, like, distorted babble talk. <laughs> and I actually have some audio files. We can listen to those back to back. So here, here's, right, what he sounds like, here's what he sounds like in the, the North American version. So you can see it's like, it's, it's pretty garbled. You can just barely make out that they're words at all. And then in the Japanese version. The master, it is dangerous. It is serious and it is dangerous. It is doing seriously being over. <laughs> I find that. It is doing way, seriously? Way, way, way <laughs> creepier for some reason. Mm -hmm. But uh, hats off to them for, uh, doing, <laughs> you know, just that kind of subtle tweak, you know. And then and the other thing that always blows my mind is, uh, is Okami, which is mm -hmm. a particularly uh, difficult subject matter, I think, to localize. How do you localize something that is like 100% Japanese mm -hmm. through and through? It's all based on Japanese mythology that no one here is going to know except, you know, Super Japanophiles, um, and you actually worked on that one, right? I did. I what, did. What was indeed. your role in that? Uh, so I didn't do. Uh, I didn't do most of the dialogue translation. That was uh, we had a, a great outsource partner for that. I did, you know, personally the stuff that I typed, the stuff that came off my fingertips, all the sub-screen, sub-menu mm -hmm. uh, stuff, item names, most of the character names. Um, wow. Most of the, the very specific portions of the dialogue, like wherein you get a new uh, ability and things like that. Okay. And then I participated in what we call the native check, where you get a small group of native speakers in the target language to basically just play. Sometimes it feels like you're playing the game. Sometimes it feels like you're just looking at a spreadsheet, making sure you're triggering all the dialogue. But you make sure that someone's eyes are on every single piece of dialogue mm. uh, to make sure that it makes sense. Because okay. one of the proclivities of Japanese, it doesn't have the peculiarities of Japanese, it does not actually differentiate between plural and singular. So if oh, you have yeah. like an examine message, like there's a bottle on the table. Right. If you're given a spreadsheet and you're a translator, you have no idea if it's one bottle, a thousand yeah. bottles, uh, etc. So you have to go through that process, and it's also a great chance to check for typos, uh, things like that. So I did some touching up uh, on Okami at that point, but huh. I did not uh, write all the English dialogue. It really is just such a... I mean, it's also a super text-heavy game, like Ace mm -hmm. Attorney. Um, and, you know... You've got all these little touches in the English version, like uh, Eastun calls him Furball, or calls Ami Furball. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, Waka, the poet, 
speaks like little bits of French here yep. and there. It's like all these little flourishes that like it's almost like you hear about this sometimes where uh, translators and localizers, they'll have like a, a spreadsheet where they they've mar they have like each character and like what kind of mannerisms they have when they mm -hmm. talk. Mm -hmm. It's like this is all stuff that, you know, it doesn't come from the Japanese. It comes from them trying to grasp the essence of what this character is and how you can express that essence in another language. Mm -hmm. I think it's hilarious that uh, French plays into that in some way. Like, I don't I don't know what that... Yeah, I think it was just supposed to show a certain air of sophistication and yeah. class mm. about that character. Yeah. And then other things, like, the, they actually change a lot. I mean, I guess this was you then. They changed mm -hmm. a lot of the names of the characters. Mostly shortening them yeah. uh, because they could be kind of a mouthful for, for people not uh, familiar with the Japanese language. And rather than have people forget characters' names, give up on trying to pronounce them, we thought it made a lot more sense yeah. to shorten them. And that's the kind of thing, like, you, you can often, I think with lower quality localization projects, you get people having, I mean, I think just because they don't know better, they, they have this ruthless faithfulness to the Japanese, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. to, to a flaw, to a fault. Uh, where they'll they'll be like they'll even leave in the uh, the honorifics and stuff like that. So everyone is yeah. Jubei Chan. Yeah, and it's <laughs> like this doesn't that's not translated. You know, yeah. we don't have that. I mean, it speaks to a very specific kind of audience. I'm not going to say that doesn't work in any case, but it certainly doesn't work for most mainstream. Right. Games. I think if you have if you have more of like a very traditional anime look, that would have worked. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you're going for a more general thing, like. Let's say you have a 16-bit game where <laughs> anime doesn't really come mm -hmm. through, you know, like maybe in Japan they have an anime for it, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. not necessarily here. Like, yeah, you should you should avoid the San and Chan and all yeah. that. Well, I think Okami <laughs> is particularly interesting because you have a very uh, classical Japanese setting and art style, but with characters that speak in like modern colloquialisms. Mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. That's such a, a tricky thing to nail, you know. Yeah. And then other little touches, the fact that they, they call it Nippon instead of uh, Japan, even yep. in the English version. Yep. I, I want to say that was my idea. I, we, really? I remember initially, I had floated uh, Yamato, right? Like, which is another ancient name right. for Japan. But then I realized there's something else in the game with that name. And we didn't oh. have to overlap there. Oh. Yeah. Virgil Sword. No. <laughs> it, was, it was a major plot point. And once again, 10 years ago, I played it. But yeah. there's definitely uh, Yamato that pops up later in the game. It was more important that we maintain that naming convention and change uh, the name of the country to Nippon. Ah, interesting. So play Okami, guys, if you haven't. <laughs> Game's great. <laughs> Okami HD recently released yeah. on PS3. You know, so interestingly enough, with, with Okami 2, when you, when you talk about localization, it's easy to assume you're just talking about uh, you know text translation, dialogue, editing, voice recording, that sort of thing. But in the case of Okami, there were a couple of uh, parts of the game where we actually changed some content. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't censor anything like that. What we did is we made it easier for the user to understand uh, certain things in the game. As you know, one of the, the, the big uh, things you can do in the game is you can draw with the, the, the celestial brush. Um, and one of the puzzles involves drawing a character, a kanji. I, I believe it was Dai for, for big, if I remember correctly, once again, a long time ago. <laughs> um, the Japanese just gives you a hint, hey, write this kanji, and everyone knows how to do it. Yeah. Uh, for the English version, and the, or the overseas version, I should say, we added a little thought bubble for one of the characters where it showed the strokes and the stroke order, wow. basically inviting the player to mimic that. Ah, so that, that's that cool. That sort of Man. thing is, is often Extra necessary. dev time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's often a hard sell for the dev teams, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that particular dev team is uh, the, the least lazy, most willing oh, yeah. to go the extra mile and take on extra work team I'll I've bet. ever uh, ever worked with. 
I have no segue, but I really wanted to talk. <laughs> I really wanted to. Speaking of having no segues, uh, I really wanted to talk about Monster Hunter. <laughs> okay. Uh, which I think again is a super text-heavy game that also um, does a great job of huh. localizing and not just translating, especially their recent offerings. Yes, you're correct. <laughs> I, I have. <laughs> ne- next topic. Next topic. <laughs> no, no. no uh, yeah, I think uh, with Sorry. Monster Hunter and and. Uh, I was thinking about it when you when you started uh, talking about the, the you know spinning the the web of lies, <laughs> uh, and then a couple of a couple of examples came to mind. You know, on earlier games we had the we had the small uh, small type monsters like the raptor, uh, like, and they they had the alpha um, male of the of the pack, and those were called something drome, right? Mm-hmm. So there was the velociprey and then the velocidrome. And the Iopray, Iodrome, right? Mm-hmm. And that worked. Uh, that worked well for that sure. for that era. Uh, and then they decided to do um, with Monster Hunter Try. It was sort of. A, I almost brought it up on last episode because it was sort of a reboot mm-hmm. because it it like it didn't include any of the previous monsters right. except for three of them mm-hmm. uh, of the large ones. And it, it was all like new monsters, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where you see the Jaggy. In the Japanese version, right? In the Japanese version, the the previous ones were all like dos. They had the name dos, and then the the rest of the name, right? Right, right. And the jaggy in Japanese was also jaggy, and then dos jaggy. Mm-hmm. But here they and for try they did a great jaggy. So now we right. have two different paths going, right? So we have Velociprey and Velocidrome, which in the Japanese mm-hmm. they were like the standard, and then the alpha, and then later. They they use the same terminology for Jaggy, and Great Jaggy. And now yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if they thought if they thought about it w- with that in mind, like with with the newer games, like potential future. Yeah, uh, how are those gonna mix? Yeah, are they ever gonna mix? And now in Monster Hunter Four Ultimate, we now have the Great Jaggy and the Velocidrome in the <laughs> same game. <laughs> and then the Japanese, their name makes makes complete sense, you know. Uh, they're all in the same sort of category, but in English, they're sort of. So do different. they just expect you to go with it, or is it like? I are think they, so. they going to kind of <laughs> are they going to weasel some story ex- explanation around like oh yeah different cultures came up with that name <laughs> which they totally do yeah uh, and, and this is something that they do um, and and um, also uh, Monster Hunter three uh, actually Monster Hunter three Ultimate had um, had a character uh, and and you know this Greg you played also the Japanese version a little bit oh, this yeah. character who was the the the, tra- the trader um, he was in, he was business of trading he had his ships he the went Argozi back and forth captain. yes the mm-hmm. argozi captain the captain thank you for forgetting his name uh, and um in the localized version right mm-hmm. he'll say a couple of things and then he'll say uh a japanese word here and there mm-hmm. and he's like oh i come from the far east and <laughs> blah 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 and tanoshi and then like uh, oh yeah, tanoshi yeah, means yeah. fun and they'll explain it to you this right? was one yeah this was how one did it work in the japanese so in the japanese <laughs> the guy speaks like a stereotypical samurai and uh it's like oh. this one of the you know they have like there's a, a particular way of talking that everyone in japan understands as the samurai way of talking you know uh, they they just have different uh, like ways that they refer to themselves and I, th- I guess like verb endings and all this stuff. Obviously, there's no real way to do that in the English because we don't have that kind of stereotype. But <laughs> by virtue of him being the only character in the game who speaks any Japanese, yeah, uh, in in the Western version, you kind of get this vibe that he's like he's he's like a a guy from Japan. Him um, and his cat. 
And the cat. The cat is the other yeah. one. He actually it's teaches you Japanese. Yeah, the, the cat will do this <laughs> more often where he'll he'll say a couple of words and then he'll say them, he'll put a word there in Japanese and then explain mm -hmm. what it is. Uh, the cat's name in the game is Neko, mm -hmm. and then parentheses means cat. Means cat. Mm -hmm. uh, but then every time he says Neko, he says which means tiger. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a bit full. He of thinks himself. a lot of himself. <laughs> and that's such a cool way to. It's like again, you know, they they did not translate the characters' dialogue. They changed the characters to sort of deliver that same vague vibe. Like the essence of those characters, I think that's something that takes a lot of thought and some risk taking. Yeah, and that's how yeah, you end definitely. up with a name like Nibble Snarf too, by the way. Ah, uh, wh were you were you trying to get me to talk about monster names? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we don't have to go super into that, but I do think Nibble Snarf stands out as one that uh, is like a drastic change from the Japanese, and that we we had a lot of feedback on, you know, um, oh. which is my euphemism. But <laughs> <laughs> no, no like, it's uh, like a, a lot of people in the community were like baffled by the fact that we picked a name that sounded silly, and then we went with this back and forth, and then uh, finally, uh, Andrew Alfonso, who's who's done the localization for three ultimate and is now working on four ultimate, he uh, I worked with him to for him to type up these localization uh, notes is what we call them, so that he mm -hmm. would go in and talk about the in depth process of picking a name, uh, and you can even see names that didn't make the cut. You know, because the the director didn't feel it resonated really well, or maybe they themselves decided this is no good. Well, let's come up with something else. Mm -hmm. uh, and the the truth behind the nibble snarf is that the Japanese name to Japanese speakers sounds silly too. <laughs> <laughs> so they nailed it. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, that's the thing is, uh, people get weirdly uh, uh, what's the word like purist. Yeah. About, about these things without really knowing the reasoning behind them. Sometimes you just have to take those risks. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes they, they really pay off. And, uh, you know, Nibble Snarf. Like with Nibble Such Snarf. A Such a gem. I like Nibble Snarf. I just want to go on record and say that. Not only because it's my favorite monster, but I think that's... Uh, I, I like that they took that risk. And I think that it does, uh, you know, convey a monster that is about eating. Which also, he is. yes. Also, Gore Magala and Gore Cyclops. Go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we don't have to talk about that here. Let's, let's go back to... This is just a weird thing where our people in our office got weirdly purist. They're like, it's not Gore, it's Goa. <laughs> and they said it in like the most gringo way possible. So <laughs> just like, uh, I was like, guys, you were all on the Dragon's Dogma campaign. Like Half the monsters in that are called Gore Blank. It's the same word. <laughs> they just didn't know. Yeah. So, uh, I so, guess the so takeaway of the episode is shut up. No. Just what, what part of localization <laughs> are we talking about now anymore? Uh, I, I mean, I feel like we, we've borrowed David's time, so um, we should pick your brain a little more. Ask away. So, like, I, I mean, just in your experience, what, what are some of the big challenges or specific challenges you've had, if you can remember anything? Oh, boy. Uh, I don't know. Give me a second to think of any yeah. really, really specific stuff. I, I can say that you, know, you talk about uh, you know, the process of localization and it being long and expensive. And, and I remember when I was a, uh, you know, a, a, a embryonic gamer in, in my teens and, and, <laughs> and before that, um, where I made a lot of assumptions like, why can't there be simultaneous releases for, for every game? How long would it really oh, take yeah. to just translate some text? Yeah. Uh, the answer to that is a hell of a long time. Oh, yeah. Um, because you're not just, you know, once again, you're not just doing the translation. You're not just doing the culturalization. 
uh, a team has to put that into the game. It has to be checked in the game. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, you, you, there's a whole process uh, wherein you have to, not only are you writing, you know, just writing in the text box in Excel or whatever what uh, the Japanese was, uh, but you're subject to character limits, oftentimes very strict character mm -hmm. limits because Japanese right. is a very dense language. You can fit yep. a lot of meaning in, in, in a very small uh, physical spaces. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's it's the toughest for German. I, I, I oh, suppose yeah. well, our German uh, uh, fans, you know, the, their option menus are just a mess <laughs> because there's not enough space to write, you know, invert, <laughs> yeah. write stick and things like that. So they have to abbreviate everything. Um, that's a huge, huge challenge, uh, making sure everything fits uh, in the space given. Yeah. I was going to say, anyone who's tried to name their armor sets in Monster Hunter understands that plate because you've already you've tried yeah. to do that yourselves yep. to give you like four yeah. characters. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Do you remember the uh, the episode of The Simpsons where uh, Milhouse gets his hands on a game called Bone Storm? It's a, it's yeah. a violent <laughs> fighting game. And it starts out and he's asked to enter his name and he, he wants to type in the Thrill, Thrill House, House, but he runs out of characters <laughs> and it stops at Thrill Hope. And I, was, I had just started working at Capcom at the time, and I had watched that episode. I'm like, oh, my God, that's a joke specifically for my profession. That's Pretty crazy. Much. Wow, yeah. that's great. Yeah, a lot of people won't even understand why that's funny. I think I have a header image for this podcast. There now. you go. <laughs> Do it. Um, yeah, no, so so implementation is, is a mm -hmm. big part, um, and it takes a long time, too. It does. Right? So, you and know, it's, you, not, it's not always just text in the game, too. Sometimes there's graphical stuff if you have, like, yeah. a map or, or background images and things. Sometimes you actually have to alter textures and two-dimensional graphics which takes well, longer yeah. than typing yeah well not to mention like anytime you change a game you're subject to creating a bug yes so even if if like you took out three japanese characters you added five english words which well, i don't know 23 mm -hmm. characters for example mm -hmm. like all of a sudden there's a bug that crashes the game and then completely it's, ruins everything i won't say what game it is <laughs> One of our games actually has there's a the, the game is programmed in such a RAM intensive way mm -hmm. ah. that even though we were within the character limit constraints we were given um, that was there was just enough extra RAM <laughs> being devoted to displaying that on the screen that in certain instances the game would freeze. Oh, yeah. No. yeah, that so. sounds crazy, but that like you say any change yeah. can have yeah. all sorts of crazy repercussions. Yeah, so that's why it takes a while. <laughs> <laughs> I did remember something I, I meant to bring up oh. earlier about Okami, but like, uh, if, if anyone who's played the game, you know that the the voiceover, if you can even call it that, mm -hmm. it's all this abstract like honking, <laughs> uh, almost like Killer Seven, but uh, you know, completely abstract and uh, it. A little more whimsical than Killer Seven. Yeah, much more whimsical, <laughs> less nightmarish. I actually have a soundbite of that real quick, just to to fill in those who maybe missed the game. Also, how dare you? Um, <laughs> Complete with music. So, anyway, you get the idea. And I don't know what the pro the the sound engineering process was there. It sounds like they've again fed Japanese words through uh, a computer, and then like chopped up each syllable and just like scrambled them up so you get all this like this just gibberish but i always wondered if that was done uh not just as a stylistic choice but to but also to ease the localization process i potentially i i think the main thing to remember too in the in those days and was it oh oh five oh six when that game came out oh six it was yeah it was really common in the west to have full voice in games with, with gta and things yep. like that um that is still not necessarily a thing in japan and certainly uh, a it's decade true. ago 
it wasn't. So I, I think that team probably viewed it less as do we go full voice or do we do, do gibberish, and it was more like do we do gibberish or do we do just text? And if given those two choices, <laughs> let's go ahead and add mm. some sound. Um, the amount of dialogue in that game, and once again, modern games and even a lot of Western games of the era, uh, that wouldn't be an unmanageable amount of voice recording, uh -huh. but it was way, way beyond anything that uh, the Japanese companies were doing oh, at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It's funny with Okami because it's, it's sort of like, yeah, you're right. The, the norm is still not to have full VO. I think Dragon's Dogma is like a super exception. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, most of the time what you get is like Monster Hunter where you have like, they, for every full box of text, you have them make some like unintelligible, like, yeah, yeah. just like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, but Okami is like, all the cutscenes are fully voiced with gibberish. <laughs> you know? But I think that serves a really good purpose, though, too, because it's, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, Suda 51 and, and the dream state inherent in the way that uh, Iwazaru talks mm -hmm. in the game. I, I would say if you kind of get yourself in a certain headspace, you know, when you're reading a book or something, anyways, you start to imagine the way a character's voice sounds when you read their dialogue, yeah. anyhow. This is almost like a Cliff Notes version of that. Oh, by the way, when you're reading this, <laughs> imagine their voice has this yeah, kind of sing songy yeah, yeah. quality to it or this kind oh, of timber. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it suits it. the super abstract abstract art style too yeah. it's almost like the sound I and the art are kind of unified in that mm -hmm. way it's, it's actually i think i have a new appreciation for that <laughs> play okami so guys <laughs> i think really you sure. got weren't you talking about killer seven just now anyways <laughs> uh so david what yes. what do you uh what do you do or or does it have any impact um as a as a constraint mm -hmm. when a game has vo in a language like say like if phoenix Wright have yep. full vo mm -hmm. would you like, do you think the team would have still been able to take some liberties and change? Uh, it depends on lip flap, largely. <laughs> it depends well, on if they're going to match the, the, the lip well, flap or if they're going to do a straight dub to the Japanese lip flap. I think that it depends on the game. It depends on the team. Uh, sometimes yeah. there, there is plenty of, uh, of freedom given. Uh, I know that on Dead Rising, which is something we'll, we might talk about uh, again in the future one day, um, it was almost treated the Japanese script, which is a very excellent uh, script done by this gentleman named uh, Makoto Ikehara. Hmm. Um, it's a great script, but he almost treated it as, hey, here's a guideline, take this and write. Hmm. Don't translate this, take this and write an equivalent English right. uh, script to this. So th there was a lot of freedom there, and then the Japanese subtitles were actually then altered and rewritten to match huh. what ended up being the final English script. So sometimes oh, okay. there's freedom so to, to go beyond and to not necessarily be uh, a slave to what's on the page. If if I've even answering the question you're asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no, yeah. you are. But I, I was gonna mm -hmm. uh, elaborate a little more on the sure. question itself, sure. as it being uh, in a case like mm -hmm. uh, we mentioned, like DMC or, or Resident Evil, where there's only one VO track, mm -hmm. everything mm -hmm. else is subtitle. Ah, uh, that that comes down to a philosophical thing. Uh, huh. I personally depending on the game, once again, would tend to take the same liberties that okay. I would if... Uh, you know, so you wouldn't let the VO hold present. you back? Not necessarily. I mean, okay. it's almost... How would I describe it? It's almost like the philosophical difference between subtitles in a foreign language film and closed captioning for the hearing impaired. Ah. The closed captioning for the hearing impaired needs to be very accurate. needs to have applause and laugh and things in parentheses. Right. That's not what I'm writing when I'm writing subtitles for a game. Right, like, right. You know what I mean? I'm writing... Huh. The same thing I would do with, with uh, written text. I'm giving oh. you a similar sort of feel and getting the important information across, but I'm not huh. a slave to the, the way the sentence is constructed or some of the specific word choices therein. Mm -hmm. It's funny about Beautiful Joe. That's <laughs> First of all, it, the, the hilarity that dawned on me when I saw the game... Uh, on a shelf in Japan and realized that beautiful and beautiful are the same thing because they don't have V's in Japan. <laughs> so his, the name is just Beauty for the Joel. I'm like, wait a minute. Did they just add that pun? Because that's like a deeply ingrained pun throughout the series. 
And then I was, I mean, the other thing that always occurred to me you was. You couldn't have a B boomerang. Like, you can spell boomerang. B, I mean, I guess they get it because there's, work. like, the, written, the word must be written in English somewhere in the game, even in the Japanese. Uh, well, at least on the title screen. Yeah. yeah. If nowhere else. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, like, stuff like his catchphrase, which, again, is, is, like, this very specific. Like, it doesn't really mean anything in English, but that, like, the henshin go go. People yeah. don't know it. Like, mm -hmm. do you know? Is that the same thing you said? And yeah, yeah. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, that's another one that falls into the uh, Resident Evil uh, Devil May Cry category. English There's only, only English VO for that game in Japan as well. I was just always wondered, like, how they settle on it. Did they just task the localizer or the, uh, I guess, the scriptwriter with coming up with a fun catchphrase? I would imagine that's exactly what they did. It's funny. There's a common thread, I think, uh, between a lot of the games that we've actually touched on tonight because they came from from the same team. Uh, that had an embedded uh, localization guy uh, uh -huh. there uh, who has gone on to, to bigger and better things. And I probably shouldn't even name him by name because he works <laughs> for a competitor now. But uh, gotcha. a good friend of mine, and he was embedded, a uh, Japanese guy actually, but uh, raised in Ohio, much okay. like myself. Um, but he was embedded on, on RE4, on Killer7, worked on Beautiful Joe. Um, so he, by being fully bilingual, much more so than even myself because he had been raised sure. overseas, um, I mean, he had a really good feel for, for how things would, would mix together, like Kenshino Gogo Baby and things like yeah. that. that was, uh, I would definitely uh, credit him with a lot of that. I was going to say, yeah, it's, it's, it's so hard to imagine that like a, uh, some creator in Capcom Japan came up with anything a go-go. Like, <laughs> who knows that expression? Yep, yep. Uh, and a point to, uh, to Henshin, like, when I played uh, Beautiful Joe, at least when I saw it, I was, uh, I was in Brazil. And uh, some of you may know, others may not. But the, in in Brazil, there's a you know there's a very large uh, Japanese community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's the largest concentration of ja Japanese people outside Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we get all these like live action shows and like things that were not necessarily popular here in the states. And we've got lots of like Kamen Rider and like <laughs> like mm -hmm. that type of thing. And they mm -hmm. all say Henshin, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and that was never translated. Yeah, it was always like it doesn't need to be. I guess yeah. that, that's <laughs> just as embedded in Brazilian culture at this point. Well, no, I'm saying like it back in the Even 80s, then. 90s in Brazil, like yeah. it was yeah, not yeah, translated. Yeah. They just all right, um, all these shows in Japan do it. Eventually, they're gonna get it. So let's just keep mm -hmm. the word in all of the shows. <laughs> Okay, so uh, at this point, I do want to go back to last week's uh, community question where uh, we asked you about uh, what you think about IP revivals. That was the topic of last the, the last episode. Uh, we had a few good uh, tidbits uh, of insight there. We had uh, Red Stash, who is a regular. We actually got to meet him in person at San Diego Comic-Con. Well, he says, fun. the best IP revival so far probably goes to remake which was the thing we just re-announced. Uh, <laughs> it says, on, on the GameCube, which is part of why I'm so excited to get an HD, as we all are. It says, it hit all, th it hit all the right notes, and I had a great time playing it for the first time ever. So great, in fact, that I couldn't pick it up, pick it back up for about a month afterward. Uh, and then he goes on and uh, uh, talks about his, his complete experience where he hooked up his friend's GameCube to a giant TV. It sounds like his friend was pretty well off. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and they played it in the dark, yeah. and the light—you know—played it with the lights off and the shivering cold, and uh, 
Um, that is, by the way, how you should be playing all of these survival horror games. And uh, it says the level of realism with, uh, with which everything in game was depicted, including those crimson head zombies, it just made uh, it just made his skin crawl. And uh, yeah, I do think that the remake really does kind of set the bar. And uh, but remake, I mean Resident Evil remake, it really sets the bar for how that kind of project should be done. It's uh, both faithful and completely. Uh, renders the original obsolete. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mongrel Killer says, how, how do revivals need to be handled? Take a look at the new Strider. That's the way you do it. You take an old character that is already awesome, think how to keep the spiritual feel of being, quote, badass, and then improve his appearance a little by, uh, I'm sorry, a little bit while keeping everything the game had. The gameplay, the aesthetics, the story, the weapons, the same without doing some drastic changes like other games that I won't mention. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, actually, and it's funny you mentioned his uh, his appearance because uh, we actually had the, uh, I think, one, one of the character artists from Strider 2 was actually responsible oh, right, for right. that redesign. Mm -hmm. So, uh, And I think, uh, I I'm not sure if I mentioned this last uh, time. Well, actually, we only talked about Strider for, like, 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but yeah, um, one of my favorite things that we released for Strider leading up to launch was that video uh the behind the scenes back in like double helix mm -hmm. and then there was a section of that video with that character artist from japan i mm -hmm. believe or um but anyways the, the point of the point of that was <laughs> that uh i really like how they were all super passionate about strider to begin with oh you yeah. know they were yeah, i clearly. think that was one of the key ingredients for for the result that that it is strider like the, all those guys were super passionate about strider and uh and they really wanted to be working on the project so it's one of those weird um, brands that, like, it it never did a lot, but I think it came about at just the right time that uh, a lot of people who are now adults are, are, like, super familiar with it. You know, it was, mm. like, one of a handful of games they had on Sega Genesis or on NES. So you do end up with this relatively inactive brand that has uh, actually inspired a lot of people nonetheless. Yeah. User Kaboom says, anytime I see an IP revived and it's immediately in a different genre, for example, I can't help but feel that they're unnecessarily making themselves more prone to backlash. If you want to change the direction of an IP, it's probably best to do it by gradually changing things with each iteration after the revival rather than jumping straight to the end result. If you're just going to do that, then surely creating an entirely new IP with those characteristics in the first place is a smarter move to make. The power of the brand has little relevance if the original fan base is upset. I do think that's like something that a lot of a lot of creators in various media are uh, are realizing over time now. The more prevalent these reboots and stuff mm. all become, uh, you have to you have to start the conversation by convincing the people that care day one, you know, and then you kind of expand out. Because if you if you immediately turn off the the only people who are paying attention when you have something to say initially, then it's like. And more, more, more work for yourself, right? Exactly. Um, uh, and then he mentions Metroid Prime as something that does it really well. We talked about that on the show. I think that that's a that is a great example where they they really it's almost it's almost like localization where they've they've transferred the essence of this thing uh, while turning into something new. Mm -hmm. uh. Good analog there. So. This week, we ask you, what are your thoughts on localization? What what games do you think have particularly good localization? Or what are some examples that you think are particularly sharp? What are some examples that you think uh, failed to do the job correctly? Or things that you think kind of messed up the series because they took too big a risk or deviated too much from the original work? Let us know on the podcast 
forum thread or in the comments on the podcast post. Uh, I want to thank David once again for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Pleasure. Yuri, for also being here. Uh, as always. And that'll do for episode 12. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.